Scoble. I'm the audio person over at Sparkler. I'm here today with our comics editor, Lillian Diaz-Prisville. Hello. And our special guest today is uh, Denise Schroeder. She is the wildly talented creator of uh, the comic Before You Go, which uh, we run on Sparkler. And she's amazing, and she's a wonderful comic artist, and that's why she's here to talk to us today. Oh, pshaw. Hooray. <laughs> yeah, parts one and two of Before You Go have come out in previous years, and then the third installment is going to start in our January issue, which is what the podcast is for, which is why we thought it was particularly appropriate to have her on this particular time around. So welcome, Denise. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you. And it's her first podcast, which is very exciting. So yes. welcome to the world of podcasting and <laughs> right. listening to the sound of your own voice. So. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I'm terrified to listen to this when it's all done. Just, just tell me be. I don't have I to. Find them, it's, it's, I find it really surreal because, like, we'll talk for hours on these things, and then I'll go back and listen to it later, and I will have, like, little to no memory of what we actually talked about, and so it, it's kind of like <laughs> listening to it. I don't know. It's like listening to other people. So I'm like, oh, look at how smart we are. <laughs> well, <laughs> we say such funny things, and I swear so much. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about how you found out about Sparkler, because I don't think I've ever asked you that before. That's true. I don't think you have. Um, I actually started following you guys from the get-go. I first saw a couple of tweets popping up right when uh, when Chromatic Press was first getting going. I saw some people saying, hey, there's this new publisher starting up. Keep an eye on them. I said, heck yes, I'm keeping an eye on them. Click. <laughs> And so you guys launched the magazine. I kept watching, kept watching. I was kind of bummed that I didn't have a chance to submit even before the magazine started. That's how excited I was to try and get in. And I was, so I was a loyal reader for a while. You guys actually called me out in one of your early blog posts on the site. Um, I was the one who brought up the um, Adobe Reader app on the Kindle. <laughs> I don't know if you would remember that, but I was excited. And so when you opened up for submissions, I had this story that I had been meaning to do as a third installment for a webcomic I was doing. I thought this would work, so I put it together and I sent it. And we pretty much, I mean, the nice thing about Before You Go, and particularly that initial installment, is that it was a neat and tidy one-shot. Um, right. We're in the process of doing our, our latest round of submissions, and it's always kind of like, it's tough to kind of judge the length of something. So um, on the one hand, you sort of want to have one of those long-running webcomics that goes for years and builds a huge audience and all of that. Um, like that's, that's something that's really exciting to get, but it's also like telling a short story in a concise way is way harder than people think it is. Right. And, and doing it in kind of a neat and tidy 25 pages, um, is really challenging. And so the fact that you, you pretty much nailed it right off the bat. I mean, I, I had some notes for you on that first chapter, but I think they were pretty minor. You actually you know, that, that notes was for me. really <laughs> an impressive piece of storytelling. So, <laughs> thank you. um, and it's, it's something that we wanted in the magazine all along was the idea that we would have longer running series, we'd have stuff that's kind of mid-length, and then we'd have a variety of shorts to kind of try out new talent and work with a larger variety of people. And we've, we've been a little hit or miss on that. I think it's, it's tough to sell short stories for whatever yeah. reason, but Before You Go has been an exception to that from the very beginning. So it very quickly picked up a little bit of like a fan following in sort of the manga queer community. And then, you know, there was demand for a second installment. So we did the little Christmas story. And now we're finally getting around to doing a third installment. So right. um, 
which I wanted to do a lot sooner than this, but last year was just nothing but health problem after health problem. It was ridiculous. Now, we've been talking about this story for a while now. So. Yeah, I think since last spring. Or no, yeah, it was spring much. of 2015, so even longer oh, than that. Oh, good lord. 2015? Was it really that long? Yeah, it was like late spring, early summer. And I said, yes, let's do it. And then I got tendonitis in both my thumbs, and it just went downhill from there. Oof. Oh, no. Yeah, that's, that's all, that's all healed up. Was it from drawing, or was it? No, it was, um, it's a really long story. The short version is texting too much. We're all glad you're drawing again, so that's like yes, the main thing. Yes, me too. Very excited. What is your background for, for learning how to become an artist? How did you end up doing what you're doing? Um, did you go to art school? Um, it all started with a little thing called Sailor Moon, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think something like sixty percent of the sparkler like creators and staff can could start with that sentence if they're talking about right. history. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to write. I figured I would be an author for a long time when I was a kid because drawing. I mean, I seemed to be okay at it, but it just wasn't something I enjoyed. And then my sister and I saw Sailor Moon. And I was like, "That's awesome! I want to draw that." And so <laughs> she and I sat down. We started drawing together. We kind of bounced off of each other, and I discovered I really, really liked it. So then in high school, I decided I wanted to do comics. So I went to the Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design, which um, had, well, that was kind of a, a double-edged sword. <laughs> I, I really appreciate what I learned there, but it was not super great as a college experience. But I learned a lot. So I, I completed two and a half years, I think, there. And then after a couple of years of figuring out where I wanted to go and starting up some web comics, and then I found you guys. Did you get a lot of flack for sort of drawing in a manga style while you were there, or, or are people that's, kind of over that at this point? That's precisely why I had a bad experience there, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because my my sophomore year, uh, we did our portfolio reviews. I brought my portfolio in, and I had, you know, some of the stuff they wanted me to draw and some of the stuff I wanted to draw. Yeah. And they sat me down and told me that they strongly urged me to consider changing my style and career choice. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't happy about that. Wow. And it was about a semester later that I just dropped out. It's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't draw what they want me to draw. I know they don't want me to draw what I want to draw. So yeah. I'm out. I can't believe that, like, that's been a thing for, like, 15 years now, at least. So, and, and it's I mean, not I, even you, know, you hear that story from, like, Jen Quick and Becky Clunan when they were going to SBA back in, like, you know, 2002 or whatever. <laughs> right. So. And then here I was going 06 to 08. And it's still an issue. Yeah, well, it's, prob it's probably going to be, it's going to be an issue until, you know, the people who are like your guys' age end up in the professor jobs. You know? Fair enough. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, actually, I recently Those got to know a girl um, this past year or so who was um, teaching animation for a bit at the school that I went to. And the other professors would get upset at her for treat for allowing her students to draw anime and she's like you know what screw you this is you, you can learn so much from this these guys are doing stuff with 2d that nobody else is doing i don't want to hear it yeah and i mean if you look at you know particularly animation i mean i think it's a little easier for that because like you know what's on cartoon network these days what's on disney xd is so clearly influenced by oh, yeah you know the anime style and even though it's kind of a reinvention in a lot of ways which i think is what makes it really interesting like that one it's 100 percent there so, yeah, hmm. uh, particularly from a narrative side. I mean, aesthetically, you know, it's kind of all over the map, although there's there's obvious references in a lot of these popular oh, yeah. series. But I think in terms of how they handle character development and pacing, 
you know, that there's definitely that that influence there. So it's it's made it into animation and just needs to kind of trickle back up to academia and then over to comics. So Yeah, please don't um alienate any more illustrators like you did me. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And I mean like, yeah. you know, not that it's a contest or anything, but if we're having like, you know, the the last fifty years in the in the Japanese manga industry versus the American comics industry, like there's just so much more developed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the idea that, that taking an influence from Japanese manga would be looked down upon by Americans. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Considering like how just like stuck in that weird stodgy superhero place we were for so many uh. years and that we're just barely dragging ourselves out of that hole the last like decade, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how the heck did we as a nation convince ourselves that superhero comics are the only ones to care about? Yeah, it's that's what I want to know. It's it's pretty messed up. Marketing. Yeah, <laughs> like like weird anti-marketing. Like like marketing. You know, I mean, well, not that I want to get into a big lecture about this, but like you know, things like the comics code and stuff, where they're like, interesting stories are not allowed. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's. Our industry is like a mess compared to theirs, you know, just in terms of like the the breadth of things that you're like types of stories that you're able to do. And I mean, hell, as a, as a company, that's part of why we started it to begin with, because we didn't want, uh, you know, to be stuck in those same uh, lines forever, you know. That was why I was so excited when you guys started up as a company when you're opening for submissions. Like these guys are doing what I want to do. This is my dream job. And I can't really find an, any sort of career, any jobs in this field anywhere else. Because there's there's no, it's so hard to market American-made shoujo-style manga. <laughs> yeah. I go to conventions, it's like, hey, I have comics, original works, check them out, I'm a professional. And everyone's yeah. like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be, I don't know, I, every year when I go to an artist alley, you know, I always sort of go through and I'm looking for stuff that people are doing that's original content. And it's it's still few and far between. It's it's interesting because you've got this whole generation of really talented fan artists who some of whom have kind of branched out and started doing, you know, self-made doujinshi, um, you know, printed right. in Korea or printed here or whatever. You know, I always like going through that and picking up some of those. But it's it's funny how few people are really doing, you know, genuinely original work. So there's there's some out there, but not nearly as many as you'd think, kind of this down the line. Yeah. So I would have thought that sort of the the burgeoning web comics market, which is definitely still you know chugging along there, yeah. um, and sort of the assistance of Kickstarter would sort of help with that. But and it certainly does for like the people who are already I don't want to say somewhat established, but like the cream of the crop. So. You know, that helps the check pleases and the lucids and the EK weavers of the world, right. um, the iron circuses. So who, who are all, you know, incredibly deserving and hardworking and, and phenomenally talented. But mm. I'm still trying to figure out, like, how to break in new talent a little bit more and, and how to encourage people to get out there and tell their own stories and well, urge them up along the way. So. From what we've discovered... Uh, cute lesbians on the cover is not a bad starting point. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very true. That's very true. But I, I know yeah, there's there's really 
there's just not enough cute lesbian stories out there. No, it's true. And that's yeah. one thing that people were saying to us was that, well, the thing is, there are a lot of cute lesbian stories out there, but they're like moe. So they're like, yeah, you know, they're cute. They're kind the, of male gaze. Yeah, they're or, or they're just cute to the point where it's like kind of gross. Like, this isn't a story We're about school girls. So yeah. it's just like, right. that's it's all girls school. But yeah, that's kind of a different kettle of fish. Yeah, but like you know, the no. the one of the main things that people said that the reason they like before you go is because, you know, it's a sweet, cute story, but it's not like bubblegum sweet, and it's not depressing and sad like they can never be together, and it's not <laughs> you know because there there are all of these you know I mean not not that like lesbian fiction is a big enough genre to like. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a fairly established genre, but it's still, you know, pretty niche in terms of, like, getting its messages out there and, and getting out there into the mainstream consciousness. But what's there does tend to kind of have a lot of tropes and cliches it falls back on. And before you go, manage to kind of, like, land between all of these things that people were really sick of, you know? That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know as much as this is like a small thing, your characters are adults. I mean, they're young adults, but they're not in little like schoolgirl uniforms and they're not some kind of like exaggerated version of like, you know, feminine innocence or whatever <laughs> that right. is either going to be like, you know, put into like hand-holding bliss forever or like die tragically because they can't ever <laughs> yeah. know their love, you know, like. <laughs> that was part of why I started writing girls love in the first place was because we were sitting here complaining there none of this is any good none of this is what we're looking for there's a couple of gems but we're so sick of seeing all girls schools and just all you you know all the tropes you know everything and so i said you know what i'll make my own and so i started with uh, paradox which was my very first webcomic i well okay my second webcomic we're not talking about high school uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, anyone who manages to actually have enough of a comic to call my webcomic in high school gets, like, extra props. Well, it was only 29 yeah. pages. I didn't have the rest of the story planned out, so I got to chapter two. I was like, great, now what do I do? Yeah, you produced 29 pages in high school. You know how few people actually manage that? <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I just have, I, I remember the comics club at my high school and how it kind of turned into the anime watching club. And uh, Oh? Yeah. Anyways. That's valuable, too. Yeah. But yeah, people really seem to enjoy that first Girls Love comic I did. And so I was originally planning on doing a series. There was a second one that never kind of got off the ground. I look at it now, and it needs a lot of revamping. But And then Before You Go is supposed to be the third one, and now you guys have it. So. Hooray! Yeah, well, we're definitely happy to have it, and uh, it's adorable. And I, I, I reread it today because I knew we were going to get on here, and I'm like, I need to remember the details. And you were talking a little bit about how about submissions and how you, you know, submitted to us in our very first round. And I was running that email. And if I recall, we kept having sparkling meetings where I'm like, guys, guys, have you looked at the, the, the cute girl bus stop one yet? And there's no bus stop in it. It's about a train, but I kept calling it cute girl bus stop because I couldn't remember what it was called. That <laughs> <laughs> was actually one of my favorite Tumblr posts of all time was when you shared that story and about how Lillian got mad at you. It's a train stop. And no, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot I put that on Tumblr. But yeah, so it was known as uh, the the bus stop lesbians for a while, even though it's not actually accurate. But uh, you know, one of the nice things about it is that 
I mean, you know, no one's going to look at, at Before You Go and say this is one of our comics that has, like, a lot of conflict in it. You know, the, the things that they go through are very mundane and actually pretty easy problems to solve because most of them have to do with, like, not communicating enough, which is, you know, a staple of uh, romance, you know, right. stories. The idea but a genuine this... problem. The reason why it's a staple is because it's a genuine issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's the, the nice thing about Before You Go is it isn't... It, it makes total sense why... They yeah. don't communicate because a lot of the time in these stories, you know, when you're watching a bad romance or or reading a bad romance and you know that if one character just said a sentence, everything would be solved and there's no really good reason yeah. for them not to say that sentence. I mean, part of the reason that this is like cute but not cloying is because you feel like, oh, well, you know, these people are insecure about love. Like most people are insecure about love, but in a very like understandable way, like well, there was a problem in my past, or, well, I think you're better than me, so I have, like, a little complex about it, or, you know, whatever. And then they just deal with that, and they they feel like the kinds of problems that actual people, when they're in their early 20s, have. Yeah. Yeah. I have a Tumblr post queued up that should show up in the next couple of weeks that's, like, uh, listing different kinds of conflicts you can have in your story that aren't just about, like, good and evil or, like, bad and good. Yeah, I think it's just interesting to think about ways of creating stories that have some sort of tension and something that moves it forward, because there is in each of the, you know, before you go installments, there is some sort of challenge that these two characters have to overcome to kind of reach their little happy ending. But it's just not always what you think it is. It's not like somebody's done something terrible and you have to sort of forgive them or some sort of life or death circumstance. So um, especially, especially with Halfway There, with the second installment, one thing that frustrates me so much about romances is anytime anyone tries to continue the okay, they hooked up now what kind of situation, it's always, oh, some, you know, this person did something unforgivable or they cheated on someone or just, something really horrible happens that where they almost break up, but then they kind of make up. And I, I get so sick of that. I hate it. It doesn't reflect my romantic experience at all. And so I prefer doing just little misunderstandings, little arguments, not world ending, oh my gosh, I need to break up with you, but maybe not kind of situations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the couples that I admire the most in real life are couples who, who can grow together and who I've seen over the course of their, their time together, um, sort of sharing their problems in some way and, and helping each other be better people. Um, yeah. And, and different couples have a variety of different ways of achieving that and a variety of different ways of kind of handling conflict but you know that's something that i really admire and it's it's nice to see it reflected in fiction in a way that's just really charming so and you know good that, job Denise. yes good thank job you Denise. <laughs> but you know that, <laughs> thank you that's one of the things that i think like writing romance is so so hard and i don't think people give it enough credit because people are so quick to kind of like well, first of all, we've all seen romance done badly so many times that people are very quick to dismiss it. Yeah. Also, romance as a genre is a genre written for women, or and people done are well, but done with cliches. Yeah, or done so. with cliches. But the 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 crux of a romance is that you have to create conflict in a story where you still like both characters, and if you fail at that, you kind of yeah. fail at the romance. I mean, except with certain exceptions, you know, there are obviously stories about messed up relationships and people who are bad people but you kind of love them anyway or whatever. But for the most part, in a romance, you want to like both members of the 
relationship, but you also can't have them get together right away. Or, you know, that you have to have some kind of conflict. And that is such a hard thing to do. And I don't think people give enough credit to people who are writing these, these like, sweet stories where you still like everyone, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen to them, you know? Like, yeah. Like, I think, I think that is, I mean, to be honest, it's a lot more challenging than writing a story where you're fighting evil because you know who's evil, like, the whole time, you know, in, in some sort of, yeah. like, demon bun- punching story. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you do see the story where who you think the antagonist is turns out to be an ally instead of an antagonist. It's like, if you have that sort of fantasy setup, it's still, you know. Yeah, like, like, even that, it's, it's always obvious what the issue is and, and how it needs to be resolved. Yeah, even so, if you don't know what sides a person is on, you know what the sides are for the most part. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. sort of like pe- people's uh, like ties to that are what make them sympathetic or not sympathetic. Whereas in, in a romance, you know, they're supposed to basically be on the same side or there aren't sides because it's re- regular life and usually there isn't some kind of like great battle for good and evil in our regular lives, you know? Yeah. They just have to disagree without it being something that ruins the story, you know? Shoot us so tell us something. about some other things that inspire you, Denise. So what what sort of have you read over the years between Sailor Moon and now? Um, what is <laughs> well, let's see here. This list is about 80 pages long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, all sorts of things. Um, I definitely watched a whole lot of anime, read a whole lot of manga in high school and into college. And it kind of hit a phase where it just wasn't doing it for me. It was kind of about when season three of Bleach started. And I said, you know what? This just isn't interesting anymore. (laughs) And so... (laughs) To be fair, from when people tell me about Bleach, that's pretty much everyone's story about Bleach. Oh, good. This isn't interesting anymore. Oh, God. I forget who it was. I'll have to see if I can dig this up. There's some comics commentator who actually did this really thorough breakdown on, like, how and why Bleach fell apart and like how badly it fell apart. Um, It's really fascinating because it's kind of like, you know, it's an indictment of sort of Shonen Jump's editorial policy to some extent, but it's also like a critique of, of uh, Tite Kubo as a writer and an artist. And that like, he's an incredibly talented artist, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's a, good writer but only has sort of so many ideas um yeah and so when you when you start to hit the kind of repetition in the story it's like he lost interest and the readership lost interest and so not only did the story go down but the art took a nosedive um yeah it's it's a really great post i'll I'll see if i can find it anyway (laughs) sorry little digression (laughs) that's all right um so then i mostly switched to indie and web comics for a while in terms of comic influences read a ton of web comics i can't even think of any right now um no really i'm totally blanking um but i also read i've especially over the last few years i've read a ton of novels um you wouldn't know it by the comics that i do but i love fantasy to death (laughs) and the next story i want to do is the next story i'm going to do is going to be a fantasy darn it no matter what (laughs) so i read a lot of fantasy novels what are some of your favorites what kinds of stuff do you like oh 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 um well, I was a super huge Sarah Douglas fan for a while. She did the... Um, oh, yeah. I forget the name of the series, or the Wayfarer Redemption series, and was really bummed when she passed away a few years back. And so then I started reading Karen Miller. I'm a big fan of her of her magic world that she's built. 
like the first one she wrote for it was the the Kingmaker Kingbreaker series, and uh-huh. that one's good. Um, the prequel for it, A Blight of Mages, is one of my favorite books ever. That book ruined me for several days. I could not function, <laughs> which means it's a good nice. book. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm I'm a big fan of like the the setting that she made for that series is the first time in a very long time I've wanted to write fan fiction just to run around play in the world. <laughs> cool. Like not even involve I've the characters. I've heard about this, but I haven't read them, so I'll have to add those to my list. Yeah, they're good. Um, they're they're pretty heavy. They're pretty depressing. So just be prepared for that. But okay. the the stakes are real high, and so the reward is really good. But you know, there a lot of sacrifices have to be made. It's not all happy ending. I really enjoyed it. We can, and we can then, handle angst. Yeah, Sorry. You, you clearly can. I just like to warn people anyway, because like I said, that prequel book ruined me for days. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I just think that our, our general readership and staff are all, are all pretty uh, comfortable with uh, stories that with make you cry a lot. Y'all like the feels. Yeah. <laughs> um, within the last couple of years, I've really finally gotten back in touch with my BL fan. Um, and when I say gotten back in touch, I mean ravenously consume anything I can get my hands on. <laughs> nice. And so in terms of novels, I started, I finally got to read um, C.S. Picot's uh, Captive Prince series this year. Nice. And if you haven't read it, it's so good. Like that, yeah, that's interesting. I, I read the first maybe one and a half books of it, or the beginning of, through the beginning of book two when it was still online, when it was still oh, kind cool. of like um, a souped up live journal post. And yeah. I hated it. I could not <laughs> get into it at all. Um, and then for a variety of reasons, like I, I, I suspect that I haven't done a side-by-side comparison, but I think it probably went through a pretty serious edit and kind of it probably did book one um, when it got officially published. Um, but uh, some of it's just my taste changed as well. And so some of the stuff that like, kind of squicked me out the first time through um mm-hmm. i had a higher tolerance for or like i could see where she was going with it rather than it just feeling like like masochism for the sake of masochism um Ad- admittedly when i yeah, first so, picked it up <laughs> go ahead no I, I was just gonna say that yeah when i when i sat down and started reading the official published versions i burned through like one and two that i borrowed from my friend in like a day and a half Nice. And then immediately order the next one online. And I had oh, like yeah. overnight shipping from Amazon. I was like, I must have it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, admittedly, okay. when I picked up the first book, um, I did it as a joke. I read the synopsis and said, no way. There's no way this is good. This cannot uh, possibly. Okay. I You have intrigued me. I want to see how badly this is going to fail. And <laughs> so I grabbed the sample. I read the first chapter and a half and was like, Wow, her writing is really great. Okay, no, I, let me let me go ahead and, and jump on this train wreck. Let's see how this is. And I couldn't believe how good it was. Every single time yeah. I kept going along, it's like, okay, I keep expecting her to pull up some trope and ruin it. And every time a trope like was on the horizon, she like gave it the bird and then walked directly to the left, and it was amazing. <laughs> and yeah, I couldn't I really believe like it. Stories about sort of court politics, um, and so. That's part of why I like the second volume and, and the third volume so much is that when you start getting into like the real court intrigue and all of this sort yeah. of secretive plotting, and then you just like when when you start to have a real relationship between these two characters, and then you get a lot of like sad pining. I'm I'm a sucker for sad pining. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> there we go. Like 
that that series has set a new bar for me. If I can write a romance that well paced in my lifetime, I will feel like I have accomplished something. Because like it starts out, they are the worst of enemies. They hate each other's guts. And you're sitting there like, okay, I know this is romance. How is she going to pull this off? Yeah. And she did it. And it was amazing. And I love it. <laughs> so I'm going to go read this now, I guess. So, yeah. I, I highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, um, I remember a time, you know, as I was sort of in like middle school, high school, and I was not a very careful reader. I was a voracious reader and I read a lot mm. of everything. And I liked everything. And I, I could be critical of, of certain things about it. Um, but I had a really hard time with stories of unreliable narrators. I tended mm-hmm. to take what was on the page at, like, really face value. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was really high school and college, late high school and college, that kind of started to break me of that habit. And I still am always really excited when I find a good book that, or a good story in general, um, that handles an unreliable narrator in a really clever way and, and lets that kind of be a surprise for you. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely something that I think is part of what I really like about the Captive Prince books is, you know, some of the reveals in, in book two and three of who knows information when and how they're kind of dealing with that, I thought was really well done. And yeah, it, it yeah. makes you go back and reflect differently on the stuff that came before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the end of book two blew me away. I just, I was yeah. floored by how she had made all of that fit together just right. And then I read the first third or so of book three and got to the first big reveal and I I wanted to cry. It was like, no, you can't do this. Yeah. What do you what why? <laughs> yeah. And then the way that that's resolved it's, is uh, just really good. Yeah, I haven't read the Kingmaker Kingbreaker books by Karen Miller. I'm I'm looking it up on my Kindle as we're talking, but I read her uh Godspeaker trilogy a while back. Oh you see that's the um, only one of her books I haven't read is that trilogy. I had mixed feelings about the second two books in that series, but I thought the first one was amazing. Okay. Fantastic. Empress is a great book. It is about a completely amoral protagonist. Speaking of things for like, I think this is when I first got my Kindle actually. So it was like, I think I borrowed Empress from a friend, finished it. And then like immediately went to my Kindle and downloaded the next book. (laughs) Like I couldn't even (laughs) wait to send me a new copy. I was like, no, I want to read it right now. I, I can, see why she'd be you know an interesting author to follow because of that so yeah yeah i actually found her through a um what should i read next page it was like put in the name of an author you like and we'll suggest a book you might like or an author you might like and um this this was shortly after sarah douglas's death and so i was like all right i want to find someone else who writes like her and so i put in her name and first option was karen miller i was like okay what's she written lately and um a blight of mages had just come out i'm like sure let's read this having no idea what i was getting into <laughs> of course if i'm talking novels that i have read this past year i would be remiss if i didn't mention jordan l hawk and the griffin and the wyborn and griffin series because oh man those books <laughs> i don't know anything about that um she more she is a self-published author, actually. She and I follow each other on Twitter now, which is kind of fun. We talk sometimes. Um, so it's it, the series starts with a book called Wittershins, and it's like gay Lovecraftian Cthulhu. <laughs> Ooh. So if you if you like Cthulhu, if you like Lovecraft, and you like guys kissing guys, yes, do it. <laughs> I'm somewhat indifferent to Lovecraft, but I do like a good sort of Victorian guys kissing guys story. So. Yeah, it's set in, um, and it's actually set in New England um, in the U.S. Uh, late 1800s, like, oh, like 
like 1890 something like like right real close to the turn of the century there and uh the main character uh, whose name is wyborn is he works at the um, museum in the town of wittershins he is um a philologist um he is, specializes in languages and translates and stuff uh -huh. and he's been working with a friend of his who is the only female who's actually accomplished anything at the museum. Um, she was, uh, she discovered this big Egyptian thing and he's been helping her translate a bunch of stuff. And he encounters a um, private investigator named Griffin who um, is looking into this book that Wyburn has just acquired that is written in some crazy language and all sorts of weird stuff. They start working together, magic is involved, Cthulhu monsters show up, they kiss, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the like one of my favorite things about it is that, and this is something that as I have gotten more into the MM romance novels that are in, out and about today, is that as a series it's about the same two characters. Like it is uh -huh. a it like so many of them the couple changes every single book. I like that this one uh -huh. it's about these two guys. They hook up in book one and then they continue their relationship as stuff like you know crap continues to hit the fan over and over again and gets worse and worse and worse and worse but it is but you know their relationship is kind of that core pillar that gets them through and that is my favorite kind of continuing love nice. story is when the conflict is not in the relationship itself it's the conflict is everywhere else and it is their relationship that helps them get through it oh <laughs> that sounds really nice how explicit is it? Because I share my Kindle account with my mother, and so I don't want to download anything that's like too. It's explicit. She. she... Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure you can get it some other way, oh. Lillian. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can track down a print copy. <laughs> I'd loan you mine, but you're in California. Yeah, it's okay. She did just download Song of Achilles, and I was like, "Really, mom? Okay." <laughs> but, but that's that's relatively discreet so I, I don't know Lillian maybe it's time to dive in there and start uh, just reading some hardcore por porn where your mom can see no it's a bad idea <laughs> yeah oh, it's, it's nothing she's not already familiar with well yeah but still maybe not so much the male male butt sex though like I don't <laughs> think that's really like okay that's fair that is fair <laughs> not necessarily my mom She's not against it. She's not going to have some sort of like moral quandary, but <laughs> I, I still don't think like there's a difference between it's technically my Kindle account too. Yeah. She's really poaching my account rather than the <laughs> other way around. But still. anyway, <laughs> it means that even like when we do like you know sparkler cherry bomb stuff, I'm like maybe I don't want to like purchase this through the Kindle store for a test. <laughs> like I'll. I'll send it to my mm -hmm. own Kindle, so like maybe she could find it if she went through the Kindle archive. Dude, but you know, you're oh. so lucky that you're not living anywhere near Leanne because I think it was my birthday dinner. Leanne came out with my parents and was like telling them in great detail about the cherry bomb line, and oh I was just like, Jesus Christ, like just oh, you have to stop, <laughs> stop talking to my parents oh. about porn. <laughs> There's this block you never quite you guys get are past. Really well you met my dad. So I, I thought we kept ourselves pretty well under control for that yeah, dinner. Yeah, Leanne's yeah. uh, filters are kind of sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. Once she knows you, they're usually not. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, Sorry. I had something else I was going to add to that, but the cold medicine's kicking in now. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. 
Well, yeah, uh, Denise, I know we all, we talked kind of a lot about romance in general, but uh, do you have anything else you want to say about how you write romance? Like what you try to do, what kind of characters you like to do, how you get them together, that kind of thing? Yeah, how did you come up with Robin and Sadie? So, so where was their inspiration behind them? So where was that story sort of coming from? Oh, this is my best kept secret. <laughs> um, the story Before You Go is actually based off of a song that I heard, I think back in 2012 or something like that. And the song kind of, um, I, I mean, obviously I made some changes and it didn't, it didn't fit perfectly, but the song looks kind of telling this cute little story about um, two people who run into each other and they kind of start to get to know each other and fall in love, but they don't know anything about each other. And so the song is all about like trying to figure out, okay, what kind of things do you like? And the very first verb, she it's it's all told second person. It's all you, you, you. The very first huh. verse, um, she uses the word beautiful to describe this other person. I thought, what if this is two girls? Oh. <laughs> and certainly you can describe a man as beautiful. I am not going to argue yeah. against that, but mm. it kind of planted that seed in my head. And so like a day later, I had a story written down. <laughs> oh, nice. Huh. And so, yeah, actually the name before you go is kind of a, a there's a callback to the song. There was um, part of the lyrics have a mention that in the line, there's other little head nods to the song um, in the first uh -huh. story. Tiny detail that I think a lot of people overlook. Um, Robin has a copy of Macbeth in her lap at one point. Um, the song brings up Shakespearean stories. Um, the story Sadie tells about bringing broccoli to a movie with her friend uh -huh. um, is also a head nod to the song. Talk brings up, like, like, do you like broccoli? Do you like watching movies with your friends? Kind of like, what kind of things do you like? Uh-huh. And so just little things that I grabbed and stuck in because I thought it was like, you know, you inspired, you inspired this story. Let's, let's have a little bit of dedication. It's a, That's it's so a guilty sweet. pleasure song. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure song. But yeah, um, that, was, that was just kind of how that got started. And so I'd had it set a uh, sitting around for a little bit when, and then when I was trying to think of what to submit to you guys, I was bouncing between two or three different ideas. I thought, you know, let's do a one shot. Were Robin and Sadie themselves sort of based on, you know, people you knew or, or sort of like the fact that Robin is, is uh, Chinese and, you know, Sadie's Caucasian, like, why did you decide to kind of do things that way or, or discuss um, sort of your, how the characters developed, even sort of personality wise. So like, uh, one of the things we did early on was we did a little, I actually forget if this was before you go or, or halfway there. We did a little fashion upgrade for the two of them um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and went over sort of our character design, your character designs and, and tried to put them in like slightly cuter clothing and to give them a sense of personality through their clothing a little bit. Um, talk about that process. Okay. Well, um, Robin is like not so much in anything except for background is kind of based off of my first roommate from college who was mm -hmm. um, half Chinese, half American, half German American. And that's actually part of why she is taller than Sadie, even though she hey. is of an Asian descent, because this roommate of mine was extremely tall. She was <laughs> she was half Chinese, half German American, and she was like six foot two. She nice. was insanely tall. <laughs> so actually because nice. of that, when I think of half Asians, I always imagine them being tall. People are like, you wouldn't be that tall. I was like, how do you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the inspiration for that comes. And then in the third 
story here, um, once we get to the second part, we'll kind of get to see a little bit more of her background and her parents and her upbringing and stuff like that. Sadie, um, about that. Mm. Oh, back, uh, back to Robin. Um, personality wise, <laughs> she's actually based a little bit off of my wife. Um, um, she's super witty and her banter is um, amazing and inspires me. And so every time I'm writing Robin and I try to think of what kind of funny, witty things she would say, I just think of what Karen would say and then it just writes itself. I don't even have to worry about it. Oh. <laughs> Everything you say is adorable, Denise. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Sadie actually just kind of came out of my pen. Like ever since high school, whenever I would just doodle a random person, it would always kind of be this girl that looks a little like her. Uh-huh. And so when I knew I wanted to have like just super cute, happy, peppy kind of character, that was just what came out. And obviously I was comfortable drawing it since it's what yeah. I doodled all the time. So I was like, sure, let's do this. I don't want to say she's based on myself because I'm not sure how true that is, but um, I tend to pull from my own experiences for her a lot more than anyone else. Like she works at a shoe store. I used to work at a shoe store. Um, the little story that she tells about the customer complimenting her on the service. She gave something that actually happened to me while I worked at that shoe store. <laughs> um. yeah, well, we're, uh, I think most of us know that working retail does give you a lot of fodder for a story. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I mean, that's just, that was kind of just my thought process. I was just, I wanted to design characters that were fun to draw that were fun to look at that got along well and i mean lillian helped me revamp robin's design a little bit when after um from my original pitch she didn't look quite as asian her hairstyle was a little different her clothes were not quite as i think that's what you were talking about yeah and so she had me redesign her we gave her the, the headband and fixed up her clothes a little bit and she became what she is now i forgot that we added the headband yeah, she didn't have it originally. Yeah. And now it's become so iconic to her character. Like, it, she's wearing it even at home. It's like, I don't even know if I would wear a headband at home, but this is her, <laughs> so we're going to leave it. Well, you know, her. wearing a headband now. Yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or she's got her hair pulled back. Would you wear a headband? Who cares? It's a comic. You got to give people, tend to wear you know... a... Ironically, that is when I tend to wear a headband, is when I have my hair pulled back, because that's when my bangs get all fluffy. So mm. oh. you want to kind of smush them down. But but Robin and I also have very different hairstyles, so but also, it's not that comparable. You know, com- <laughs> comics are where someone will have the exact same hairstyle at five years old as they do at thirty because you're supposed. To, that's the only way to tell it's the same person. So I wouldn't worry. Yeah. About it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people's hair is like you know, orange and pink stripes or something for no good reason. So you know. Yeah, well, I considered doing ch- changing up their hairstyles more over the course of the stories, but it's like no, I don't. I don't want to go overboard on this. Um, back in high school, when I was reading Peach Girl, um, was one thing that I both loved and hated about that manga was that the main character's hair changed like every single scene, and it wasn't just a little bit; it was <laughs> dramatic. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, you know, this is a high school girl; she probably would be doing up her hair, but I'm having trouble recognizing her in some scenes. Please cut it out. <laughs> yeah. So, do you want to tell us anything about uh, your other web comic? Was it The Good Prince? Uh, the Good Prince, yes, is my other webcomic that um, I have been working on since 2009. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> wow. God, yeah, that's a long time now. Yeah. 
yeah, no, there's a, definitely a certain degree of uh, personal angst involved in how long that comic has been going and how little I have to show for it. Oh, no. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with just life being a huge pain in the butt. But, um, yeah, that was actually a concept that my wife came up with back in, like, gosh, 2008 or something. We were just in the car, and she was like, hey, I've got this idea for a story. And I was like, no, I like that. Yes, I'm going to do it. So it's been going for a little while. I'm going to finish it. I am going to finish this comic. Darn it. I am going to finish it. Anyway. <laughs> but, do, you, do you want to give a little summary of the premise for uh, people who haven't read it? I'm trying to think of how best to do it without giving away the first reveal. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> because while it's not a super big deal, because the reveal happens at like the end of chapter one, beginning of chapter two, I still kind of like to keep springing that on people. Um, yeah. <laughs> But I guess the short version is that it is, it's a convention story, and admittedly, when I wrote it, the, when I first wrote it, the convention scene was a little different than it is now, but regardless, um, there are these, these kind of self-published conventions that are going on, and there's this one author who's really well-known at them, kind of the one who helped get them started, and this author is known as Lady April, and they write uh, really good, really well-known lesbian sort of novels and fiction. People just eat it up. And it's the story of this author falling in love with someone they encounter at the convention, like love at first sight, head over heels. But there's a trick involved is, you know, it's not quite love at first sight. Things kind of get turned on their heads. And so you have to kind of wait and see how things play out, kind of make friends first and, and I think that's the best I'm going to do without giving it away. <laughs> um, anyway, it's fun. It's cute. It's, I mean, it's me. Of course it's cute. <laughs> Where can people go to read it? Um, they, it's, I have it hosted on Smack Jeeves and Tapastic currently. Uh, it's just The Good Prince on either one. Thegoodprince.smackjeeves.com or um, go to Tapastic, search for The Good Prince. It's there too. Yeah, it's about halfway through chapter three now. It's supposed to be a single volume kind of shot thing. It's uh, seven chapters in length. Not super long. I, I taught myself how to write short stories once, long time ago, and I kind of have a hard time writing anything longer now. Because <laughs> I'd read, oh, it's it's um really good show of, of storytelling skill. If you can write a short story, it's harder to write a short story. Like you mentioned before, I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to write short stories. Yeah. And then I love them so much. Now it's like, how do you write something longer than five chapters? What? <laughs> I, I can do this in two. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if... I, I hadn't really thought of this before, but maybe there are people who are just sort of better adapted to one or the other way of storytelling, so... Oh, yeah. Um, sure there are. It makes total sense, you know? Just... You, you find something that kind of works for your storytelling style, you know? Yeah. And honestly... Well, even Going through my list of like fanfic authors that I like and like who likes doing really long epics and who likes doing like <laughs> little vignettes and but, how know, much crossover is there between the two two kinds of people? When we go to cons, um, everyone wants to know if things are finished. So being able to finish stuff is like a really, really yeah, big deal, you know? That's true. Well, one of my best selling books at conventions is um, was my first Girls Love Comic Paradox. And it's just a single self-contained story, like 32 pages long. And if I'm going to sell out of a book at a convention, that's usually the one I sell out of. Yeah. No, I think that's particularly true for convention sales is that you want something that's pretty self-contained and, mm. you know, you know, something that people can kind of pick up, you know, it's just a little bit of spending money in between 
whatever big other purchases they're making. So yeah, um, that that sort of impulse buy factor. Although so. that one that one convention, I did have some copies of a little before you go mini we did for TCAF that year. Those sold pretty yeah. fast too. Mm. So oh, yeah, yeah we we definitely blew through those every convention that we're at. I, I will like occasionally unearth more of them from like the recesses of my closet. Yeah. Um, I was kind of wondering how you kept finding more. You kept saying that was it, and then it's like, oh, they found we, another like thought, where we thought it was it. Something. My stock went really fast, and I'm sort of the center. I, I do most of the sales and most of the stores and most of the conventions. But we had some with Lillian. We had someone with our CFO, Jill, up in Toronto. And when we when we first got that print run in, you know, it was sort of a small specialty run just for mostly cons and a little bit of online sales, like, you know. So right. we just, you know, passing it around, and then it sold really quickly. And then, you know, but obviously somebody who doesn't have the store coming like in their apartment isn't going to have a place to sell it so it would be like oh look two more copies yeah you know it was always really great to find them because i know that you know people kind of missed out on that a little bit and we're really looking forward to being able to get a real like trade paperback out for before you go right you know, that's gonna be really nice yeah that was actually part of how uh, lillian sold me on um, really getting this third story going was, hey, we can do a we can do a graphic novel. We do their I'm like, you have me a graphic novel. Just please keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's gonna be great. Like we're we're all really looking forward to having this one in print, and it's gonna have some adorable pink cover, and everyone's gonna love it. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure it's gonna be like either pink or pastel purple or something like that. Oh, there'll be pastels involved for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> sparkles. Can we put some sparkles on there? Well, if you insist. I don't know. We can we can look into sparkles. We'll have to, have to see, see what we can sparkles. do for sparkles. <laughs> see, my brain just immediately goes to production costs, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if sparkles are yeah. in our budget, but we'll try. I mean, I can put or sparkles on the cover. It's whether you emboss the sparkles or whatever. That's it. That's up True, to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or whether or not you just take some glue after you're done and like squeeze some glue on it and then just sprinkle some. I mean, so, you can always just like take you know, it instead to the of convention. Leanne making those little beaded keychains that we send out sometimes, you can just like put glitter on the books instead. <laughs> just every, be, every, like, copy of, every copy project. of before you go, you buy through our store comes with like a handful of glitter. <laughs> it just falls out in your lap. <laughs> you know, there's a service online where you can ma- you can mail someone an envelope of glitter, and it's what you're supposed to do to someone you hate. Yeah. Oh, it was great. There was yeah. this, there was this guy whose dad kept going through his mail, so he got one of those sent to himself, and it was like, and then like videotaped. It was like a glitter bomb. It was amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> so I kind of feel like maybe we shouldn't include glitter in the packages, since that's supposed to be something you do to people you hate. Yeah, no, we're not but... going to actually include any glitter in anything <laughs> because it's becoming like buying yourself an anti-present now. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, well, uh, the, this this book when it comes out will be like the the prettiest, pinkest, most beautiful thing you've ever seen. So. All right. Well, I was gonna do chartreuse, but I guess if you want pink. No. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Mostly, if it has like the two main characters like doing something cute on the cover, that's gonna go a long way, I think. Lucky for you, that's my specialty. Hooray! Yeah. I'm trying to also get my inking done here, so. <laughs> No, I know, hearing the pens, like, clatter. And I'm like, hmm. The audio side of me is like, she should stop doing that. The uh, sparkler editor side of me is like, no, keep doing that. Yeah, keep keep working. 
Think faster. Well, I, I told you to warn me if it's too loud. No, no, it's 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 been very occasional, so I'm like, forget it. Just just get your inking done. Okay. <laughs> it, it adds a little ambiance to the, yeah. the experience. Yeah, some authenticity. <laughs> All right, so we've been talking for about an hour, so we can start getting to the point where we're wrapping things up. But do you guys have anything else you wanna wanna say? So what is up next for you, Denise? What are what are sort of your plans for 2017 once you're done with this? What's the next step for you? Well, what I'd really like to do is get some actual work done on The Good Prince. <laughs> that comic I've been working on for eight years now, that comic that's almost as, as old as my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I do have, and you guys don't even know this, I do have another girls love thing in the works that I kind of want to pitch your way. Ooh. Um, oh, you should. Part of me kind of wants to look at where I'm at at the end of this and see how I feel because trying to meet these deadlines with a um, not only a 40 hour a week full-time day job but with a four hours of commute a day schedule um, oh has that's been a little painful <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I leave seriously. I leave home at six o'clock in the morning and I get home about 7 30 at night oh my god and then go to bed at 10 so Although wow. this week, this week that's out the window. I'm going to bed whenever I need to. So yeah, like I, I'm, I actually, even though I, my stress levels are unbelievable, I'm really enjoying kind of getting that creative fulfillment again. I'm really enjoying working on stuff again. Mm -hmm. So probably what will happen is I'll finish. I'll get the final stuff into you guys and be like, "Wow, it feels so good to have accomplished something. Let's do it again." I'm like, honey, <laughs> let's have another one. <laughs> So yeah, I definitely want to pitch that to you guys. Um, so that might be in the works, depending on how I feel. But for sure, I want to get some work done on The Good Prince. Get it finished chapter three, if nothing else. <laughs> I, have cha I have chapter four scripted. I'd like to get started on that, see if I can't get somewhere. Um, not doing a whole lot of conventions this year. Either I didn't get accepted into them, or they're just not communicating. Um, dink, that new independent comics convention that started here uh -huh. in denver is mm -hmm. being terrible with their communication this year it's actually oh. kind of kind of offending people who did it last year oh wow right. and so we applied to that but we haven't heard that they, they were supposed to get back to us in november and they accidentally sent everyone a hey you're in message and then when oops. they got swarmed with okay i'm in why well, don't want to have my invoice yet they're like oops we made a mistake oh, God. oh no and then we haven't heard anything since. So, oh, that's terrible. awful. Oh, and that was in man. December. Yeah. So, needless to say, some people are a little upset about this. Um, yeah, I can understand yeah. why. <laughs> Jeez. Well, apparently, they were really good about their communication their first year. So, it's kind of been a slap in the face for some people. Mm. Uh huh. But it's tough being a new show, and it's tough being a small show. But yeah, yeah, yeah Just, gotta get I feel like. That. I feel like it would make more sense if their first year had been like this, and then they got right. better this year. The fact that it, they did so well their first year, and then yeah. just kind of well, all it takes yeah, is losing that one a real staff thing. member, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you lose the one person who knows what they're doing, and then it's just like a disaster. Um, they they could have an incredible reason. Like I'm I'm since this is my first year trying to do it, I'm not particularly mad. It's just please let us even even if the message is just family member died, get back to you soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something. Just let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Radio silence is the worst. Yeah. So other than that, like I might be doing, I mean, obviously I can't afford to really do out of state 
conventions or anything yet. TCAF uh-huh. was a special event in 2014. So I might, yeah. I might just end up applying for Nondescon in Denver this year and calling it good, just focusing on webcomics. There's a lot to be said for that. Just kind mm-hmm. of nose to the grindstone. Yeah. I do have a few novels I've been working on, too. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, I got into to national novel writing month, NaNoWriMo, um, several yeah. years ago, and try and do it every year when I can. I have three novel rough drafts finished, thanks to that. Oh, wow. Wow. Nice. And um, two of them I want to pitch to you guys, but I need to actually get through that first revision stage, which I'm having trouble with. Yeah. Well, that I that I know how this can, I know that this can be better, but how to make it better. But I don't want to just send you guys a nano rough draft because I feel like that's offensive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. That's so kind of you to worry about offending us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Should I, mean, I just send you this word a, vomit a that I made? I'm sorry. What was that, Lillian? Huh? What did you say? I, I said Dead Endings was a nano rough draft. Yeah. Okay, really? Yeah. And then we made her gender swap the characters. (laughs) I did did hear about that. I'm so glad she did. Oh, I know. I know. I love it so much. Yeah. Dead Endings is hands down one of my favorite novels you guys have done. Which is funny because when I read the premise, I was like, "Mm, not feeling it. Not sure I'm going to like this. And so I didn't start reading it until chapter like four or five came out. I said, yeah. All right. Let me give this a shot. People seem to like it. And I was hooked. I love it. Yeah. It's really the. One of the characters can smell ghosts is where I got interested. Oh, yeah. No, like, honestly, that was kind of what grabbed me, too. It's like, okay, this is this is super unique. Yes. Yeah. Yes, let's do yeah. this. Yeah. Everett's oh, amazing, and, so, you know. And Caitlin as a protagonist is a lot of fun, too. Mm. Just yeah. foul about, she drinks all the time, which you don't see in a female character often, which is why that gender swap yeah. is such a good move. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I don't I don't think that character was quite as sort of rough around the edges uh, when when they were a dude. And so I think she kind of upped the ante on like, nice. mm. Kaylin being kind of a mess. But yeah. also she she handled the pacing really. The like suspenseful moments were really, really impactful. Yay, like the, yay, that, that book was definitely one that had me on the edge of my seat during those big intense scenes. Oh God, yeah, that book got scary. Like, you know, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was sitting there trying oh, to copy yeah. edit it, and I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> please don't die. All I have to say about it is shotgun. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ghost <laughs> 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 shotgun. Yeah, and anyone who's read the entire first book knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The final scene was a was a good um like literal punch to the gut too. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Jess. Yeah. Yes. Glad you liked that one. Oh, I'm so, every time a new chapter of the second book comes out, I'm like, yay! And then every time a d- chapter doesn't come out, I'm like, where is it? <laughs> yeah. She's busy dealing with her adorable baby and, yes. and like editing a million video games. So yeah, she's doing a lot of localization work. Looks like. Yeah. Good old Jess. Um, speaking of other projects I cannot wait to hear more of Cat Lover Circumstances yeah that's me it's coming out in like a week I know know. my stupid post office job like destroyed my ability to get chapters of that out so I'm gonna blame the post office specifically I'm so sorry everyone involved this is on you yeah it's, it's it's the post office's fault that was another one I didn't think I would like I read the synopsis it's like eh 
but <laughs> I enjoyed awake. So my I enjoyed awake a lot, as evidenced by the fact that I was kind of pimping it a few weeks ago when Passengers came out. Um, oh man, I've been yeah, so was, enjoying being so, awake. Uh, so, are you mad about Passengers? Do you think Passengers sounds like a cool premise? Only they screwed it up. Maybe you should go listen to Awake. <laughs> I had several people respond. They're like, I think I should look into this. It's like, that's right. You yeah, should. You should. Yep. And, yep. But yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, Tori, who was on our writing team, she's been doing that a little bit. It's been kind of, it's it's both infuriating and really fun that Passengers came out. So, yeah, you know, because it is a really good premise, but you can't make it all gross and horrible and, and, and like, you know, non-consensual like destroying of lives you know because like yeah it's it's a similar premise but like the entire theme of awake is the exact opposite about how you like you know uh mess up your own life to protect the people you care about you know right yeah like, i think uh gross and rapey was how i had heard uh, yeah, passengers described that yeah, i enjoyed the yeah. most gross and rapey that sounds about right sorry <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yes, I, w I went ahead and gave Cat Lover Circumstances a try because I liked Awake so much. And the characters in that are just, like, the the way the characters interact, the way they're, they are in relation to each other and the conversations they have is all just really well done. Oh, well, thank you. Here, yeah. let me just um, sit here and pimp everything that Sparkler releases for an hour. Let's do that instead. <laughs> well, I certainly like it when people, like, you know, say really nice things about my work, and I don't let it go to my head or anything like that, you know, so we're all the best. The audio dramas need so much more love, too. I mean, I think that, oh, like, yeah. you know, comics on the internet are, are, you know, you can show people a pretty picture and they'll get excited about it. Uh, prose is a little harder, but, like, it's been so hard to get people to spend the time to like try out the audio dramas. And when they do, they always love them. It's like, yeah. always, you know, everybody always gets excited about it, but like getting people over that initial hump is so difficult for some reason. Yeah. Even I didn't yeah. start listening to awake until it was on chapter four, probably because yeah. I was the situation I was in. I didn't have a lot of time to listen to things. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of took me a while to, yeah, you know, I do think it's part of it because, I mean, you know, this is going to sound like an insult, but it's really not meant to be. But uh, when it comes to getting people to interact with things online, any step beyond a single click is like a massive deterrent. So if you've got to go get your headphones, it's like too oh, absolutely. much for people. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> well, let me tell you some of the ridiculous hoops I jumped through to avoid getting up off the couch to go grab my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I think in order to avoid uh, getting a charging cord out of my purse, I went through this 45 minute long endeavor with my Dropbox. It was ridiculous. If I'd just gotten up off my butt and gotten, gotten the cord. <laughs> oh, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just, it's, I mean, that's, that's one of those things that you start learning about when you do like online marketing and, and start looking into, you know, like how to make your website as streamlined as possible and everything, but just like, it's, it's not meant to be a dig. It's just part of the human condition is that when you're talking about entertainment, like so lazy, we're so lazy. And I say this oh, entirely yeah. about myself as well, but human beings are so lazy and just like anything, you know, yeah. sorry, say what you're saying. Uh no, so I was going to say, it's three clicks with yeah. a website. If a person has to click more than three times, they lose interest, was what I learned anyway when I was done doing some, learning some web coding and stuff. But 
I, just, I, 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 always, I always liked that rule. I really kind of clung to it because I noticed it then when I was navigating through websites. Like, yeah, if I have to click, honestly, more than twice, I get pretty pissed off at the website. <laughs> See, I didn't know that there was an actual number. This is just like, that's so interesting. I mean, maybe it varies from person to person, but at least that was what I oh, learned yeah, in that yeah. class. No, but I mean, having as like a general rule of thumb, because obviously you got you to gotta make your website, you know, interesting to as many people as possible. It's like part of it. Right. No, that's really cool. I'll have to remember that when we're, like, trying to redesign Sparkler for the 90th time. <laughs> yeah, the next time we do, like, our, our series of little tweaks to improve the experience. <laughs> it's, like, it's the great and terrible thing about being an online venture is that, like, you're never really done making changes. There's nope. always yeah. something else you can fiddle with. Yeah. So, which is awesome in some ways and maddening in others. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great when you can go, like, fix a typo in something. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like... Like, like, particularly in the novels, because obviously with the comics, you've got to, like, go, you know, fix the page and upload a new one. Although we've, we've done that, too, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. Certain artists are more perfectionist than others. And, you know, they'll be like, I need I need this page replaced or whatever. But with the novels, sometimes Leanne, you know, particularly since she's doing Tokyo Demons, she's just like, uh, there's a typo on, like, you know, page seven of chapter six, part one or whatever, and, and just go in there and fix it and decides that she hates a line and she changes it or whatever. And then, you know. <laughs> and then it just spirals from there. Yeah. But then when we go to print, it's like terrifying. And, you know, I think I read through Knight's Errant before we put it a print four complete times after the final, uh, uh, editing yeah. because, because that one had to have that one had to be re-lettered so we were like really scared of mistakes yeah. getting through and then I think we ended another pass on it and then I'd missed things there too because we didn't have spell check because of all the re-lettering and just <laughs> yeah that one was kind of scary but, every uh, now and yeah. then when I'm reading one of the new prose chapters I'll find a typo but I just let it go I was like no oh, they'll find it yeah I mean that part of it is we'll also get to it eventually because it's online we 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 uh we obviously copy edit everything, but you're going to miss some stuff. And uh, yeah. a lot of the times it's just me copy editing everything. So <laughs> you can blame all the mistakes on me. All right, I will. All right. <laughs> so yeah, Denise, if you want to send any like strongly worded emails, you can send them to me. It's probably my fault. Becca, we need to have a talk about this. <laughs> Maybe you need to stop staying up until 4 a.m. every night. I tried. I can't. There's oh god. There's no. <laughs> I'm gonna say there's too much fan fiction to read in bed, and also my bed is very <laughs> soft and my apartment is very cold. Yeah, it's it's been tough to get out of bed in LA for the last few weeks because it's been very chilly and rainy, and my cat is so snuggly, and she just wants to sleep in my hair in the morning, and I'm like, but I have to go to work, baby. Sorry. I have a really fluffy comforter, and I'm gonna blame that for me having trouble getting up in the morning yeah but also when you're a freelancer you just get up and you do your work whenever you want to and then you have to work till four in the morning because you got up at noon it's a problem. Yeah, I yeah. That. yeah every time i take some time off to work on one of these deadlines it's like all right i'm gonna get up at eight o'clock in the morning get started and i'll work eight hours and have the eat i don't get started until noon i'm up until like 2 a.m yeah yeah never it no yeah. doesn't work it just doesn't how work. did this happen it's because humans are lazy at the core like we were, <laughs> we're all just really lazy i was gonna say we're busy we have lives that are busy and, and so when you have a chance to kind of slow down and take a break it's you know it's it, tough to stay motivated you know you if need you to call take that refreshing, 
if you call refreshing Twitter for the 20th time busy, then yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, or <laughs> no. rewatching Yuri on Ice for like the third or fourth time, which is what I'm doing. Yeah, maybe that. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's, also, it's kind of a survival, it's kind of a built-in survival mechanism too. At least I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. I'm having trouble remembering the argument for it, so maybe that was a bad thing uh-huh. to bring up. Um. <laughs> what, being, being lazy? Yeah. Or, hmm. I mean, I guess it's like, is it like a calorie saving thing or like a... I'm, I know I've read this somewhere and I just cannot remember. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't include that. Um. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll go like look it up online after this, but for now we'll just not go into it. Gosh, you don't know where did I read that from? <laughs> That's going to bug me now. Anyway... <laughs> All right. So on that note, maybe we should start to wrap this up. We're all we're all uh, really excited to see what you're going to be doing in the future, Denise. Uh, it Thank all you. sounds awesome. And yes, you should pitch more cute lesbian stories to us. You know, just throwing that out there. Uh, but also, this one will sorry, that one will be a fantasy, just so you know. And okay. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have gotten any girls love fantasies yet. So we've gotten a lot of fantasies. <laughs> Well, so actually, yes. uh, maybe that was a bad way to word it, but <laughs> <laughs> have you published one yet? Nah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think the closest so far. Well, no, not we've... quite. Because I mean, yeah, Windrose is sort of historical fantasy or historical fiction slash something. Yeah, and, uh, it, it kind of it kind of and... lives in the same area as fantasy, just because of the historical nature of it. But it's true; it's it's not fantasy. But also as a reader, and then, uh, uh, Chimaka is, is a magical girl story rather than like high fantasy. So yeah. Also as a reader, I still have no idea where Windrose is going romantically. Like they're they're playing off that that OT three thing so well. I have no idea what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm definitely enjoying the OT three. Well, according to but, our fans, uh, we really really have to have one of these stories just like go into and actually be an OT three. Like because it's true, we don't have anything poly yet. So, uh, you know, yeah. one of these days we gotta, like, get somebody who wants to just... I mean, I kind of feel like that, like, Leanne needs to do that with Tokyo Demons. It's like, she's gonna take the initiative on that one somehow. Oh, gosh. Well, like, so, I gotta say... that's just such a relationship clusterfuck all the way around. <laughs> okay, nobody knows how big a relationship clusterfuck that is, except for me, because she and I have been... <laughs> well, we, we've been doing Kickstarter fulfillment, and Leanne came over and was helping me with it. And we spent, like, six hours... Eating pizza, packing Knights Errant, and talking about, like, what happens between Tokyo Demons and Tokyo Ghosts with Kato, Sachi, and Ayase, and it's such oh a mess. Boy. Oh, it is such a mess. And now it's, like, a mess with a timeline attached to it, so yeah. My favorite oh. Twitter conversations between you and Leanne are just the every time Leanne sends you something and you send edits back that are just, oh my god, over and over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, Leanne, you can't no. do that, Leanne. You can't do that. I don't know. I've become a little desensitized. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bad, but like, you know, there are things that she's gotten away with that I wouldn't have put up with like six years ago when we were starting this. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. This goddamn Nick story <laughs> that she put out <laughs> over I was really surprised that you guys did that, actually. It's like, they're, they're, they're really gonna, okay, no, let's do it. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, guys. I kind of like. I-, I was weak. I I couldn't argue with her anymore. <sighs> hey, well. Sometimes you just have to give up. 
Well, Angie got to draw the art for it, and she's been my friend since college, so I'm not going to argue about that. Oh, yeah, no, Angie doing the art was great. And, I mean, I, I'll admit that was part of it, because that's the thing. Land was like, oh, well, I already hired Angie to do the art. Look at this art. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't veto a story with the art already drawn, would you? And then it's just... That's, that's low. That's below the belt. I know, I there. know. It's evil. She's really evil. And when you guys find out what's going to happen in Tokyo Ghost, you're going to agree with me how evil Leanne is. Because <laughs> it's uh. the worst. Oh, she had the option to be on this podcast, and then she went to bed instead. So now we get to talk about her. Oh. Well, it's about time for me to dose up on NyQuil and go to sleep. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so thank you guys so much for talking to us. Thank you so much, Denise, for coming on. This is really fun. Uh, yeah, thank you for being <laughs> thank you for like gushing about various like you know things to read with us because that that i think gave us all some some good wrecks that'll be fun yeah Yay. you know as, as much as it's hey look i draw these adorable girls love stories i'm like here's a bunch of books that you to read some of them are gay porn enjoy <laughs> that, that's the podcast Hooray! yeah this, this is the podcast to wreck your gay porn and also like you know you can't be a good creator if you don't read stuff you know yeah yeah so it's always it's always interesting to to uh, ask creators what they're what they're into, you know. You get really good wrecks that way. <laughs> it's all people who actually know the craft of storytelling and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyways, thank you so much for coming on. We had a really good time, and thank you everyone out there for listening. Uh, we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.